0: Welcome to the Bean Ninjas Podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Of the Bean Ninjas podcast, I am joined by CEO and co founder of Bean Ninjas, Meryl Johnston. This week we are talking about building a profitable business on a foundation of freedom. And Bean Ninjas has achieved that goal with their 100% remote workforce. We discuss their tech stack and communication system so they're able to maintain communication with all of their team members who, by the way, are located in multiple time zones in several different countries. I believe it's six different countries right now. And we talk about their full cycle of sourcing, interviewing, and retaining that remote talent who are not just a culture fit, but they come on board with the skills needed to grow the company as fast as they have in just three years. So let's not waste any more time, let's get right into the episode of the Bean Ninjas Podcast.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Bean Ninjas Podcast. I am Elizabeth Powers here with my co-host, as always, Meryl Johnston. Hi, Meryl. Hey, Elizabeth. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? Yeah,
2: doing well. It's been an interesting week. I'm preparing i'm speaking at a conference next week called the Pilbara business boot and i've been preparing my presentation which is growing a global business from regional australia that's what i've been working on this week
1: excellent i hope that we are able to link to that in the show notes are they going to have do you know if they'll have cameras will will we be able to access it when it's over
2: I don't think they're recording it, but I'll definitely get some photos and yeah. write a summary of the presentation that, that I do.
1: Be, yeah, that would be great. I would love to see it, and then we'll probably end up doing an episode over it because I'll have five hundred questions. <laughs> 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 so we, I'm really excited about this week's topic. It is one of my personal passions, and that is building a remote workforce, um, and. I love what you said about being Ninja's remote workforce specifically, which is that you built a remote workforce and for you it was building a profitable, profitable, I can speak, a profitable business on a foundation of freedom. And I, it kind of blew me away because it's not too often that you hear anyone in management or especially executive leadership at companies talking about freedom. And I don't know why we don't all talk about it more. It is the reason we go to work. But explain to me what that means to you. When you said that you wanted to build a profitable business on a foundation of freedom, what exactly is a foundation of freedom to you?
2: To me, there's a couple of different elements of freedom. One is freedom of time, which is having the freedom to spend your own time how you choose. And that might be spending it on interesting work projects. It might be With um, hobbies, surfing, or it might be with family. So having control over your time. Another is financial freedom, and that I think that relates to having freedom over your time because if you're financially free, then you can make those decisions. And then the last one was freedom of location. So having the ability to live wherever I wanted in the world and, and run a business from there, and the ability to move around too, and Bean Ninjas was built with the goal of achieving all three of those different kinds of freedom while running a business and so a lot of the decisions we've made in the early days and now come back to that.
1: And it's and I love what I love I think the most about the how you've built your remote workforce at Bean Ninjas. You know a lot of companies build it because It's more cost effective. You know, you can outsource um, to parts of the world where you can pay someone a lot less. And for you, it wasn't about that. It really was about not just your freedom, but offering freedom to your teammates. So everyone that you hire or contract, you wanted to give them the same freedom and opportunities that you just mentioned. Um, And I think that is a beautiful thing. And that is really what makes remote teams work. I think companies who Try it and fail. It's because they want the same amount of control and they want the same amount of, um, boxes for everyone to fit in. So they have a certain, you know, very specific number of hours or time frame. You know, they want everyone to work 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. within a certain time zone, no matter where you're located. And those, I think, are the companies that fail because they're not thinking of, you know, the benefits of a remote workforce for themselves and for their team and for you it really was about giving that to everyone that you bring in to the team and i know that you focus a lot um you know talk a lot and encourage your team to try things like yoga and mindfulness and i think all of that is a really big part of it tell me about and you know a lot of people it's and it's easy of course to find sort of the negative or the downside in anything and a lot of people will first talk about the difficulties of hiring anywhere you know someone who's a team of people that are just all over the world What are the benefits of it to you besides being able to have freedom for yourself? What about an internationally located team is good for being ninjas?
2: Initially with freedom, that was something that I wanted, but then I realized that my goals aren't unique. There's a lot of other people out there that want to have those same things and have freedom over their time. And they also want to do interesting work and they care about their work And I realized that there was a group of people who had similar values to me and who wanted that in their own lives that would actually make great team members for B-Ninjas. And we now have people that are based in six different countries around the world who share those same values where they really care about doing great work, but also they wanted to have control over their time. And so we don't have set office hours. We have roles that have responsibilities and, and accountabilities and, Everyone in the team has the ability to make choices around where and when they are working. And a major benefit to Beamages is that not only have we attracted people with similar values, but also we've been able. We the talent pool is so broad because we're able to attract people from all over the world who who are great at what they do, who who would like to work at Beamages.
1: Yeah, so you're not just hiring the best in Australia, you're hiring the best in the world is what you're able to do, which is, to me, one of the biggest and most obvious benefits of hiring remote teams. Tell me a little bit, so you're hiring a remote team, you want everyone to have freedom, you don't require set business hours, but there are some things that you have to have in place to be prepared for that One of them, of course, is going to be your systems, your tech stack, how you're going to communicate. What do you have in place? How do you use it? And why do you think it's the best tool for what you're doing?
2: We use a number of different tools, but everything is in the cloud. And I think we were lucky in some respects that Ben and I lived in different cities when we first started the business, which meant we were forced from day one to have everything run in the cloud so that we could access it. And then when we hired staff, it made it easy to just continue on from that. So we obviously use Xero for our cloud accounting. We use Slack for internal chat, Help Scout, which is our third help desk type tool where we manage all of our client communication. We do a Zoom call. So we try and do video calls internally rather than just audio calls so that we're building relationships even if we're not. And we can see each other even if we're not based in the same office. And then we use Google Drive, to store our files. So there's a number of other tools we use too, but I'd say they're the main ones. Oh, I didn't mention Wrike, which is our project management tool.
1: In our last episode, we were talking about your internal accounting. And one of the things that you said was really important for keeping cash flow top of mind in all of your team is that you have these weekly meetings where you're going over debt, their debt, their weekly debtors meetings. I think you called them. How does that work when you have a weekly meeting, and not just specifically that one, I'm sure you have other meetings on a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly basis. So you have, you know, some of your team members, I imagine, are literally it's the middle of the night when it's, you know, 8 a.m. or 10 a.m. for you. How are you able to have everyone on board for these team meetings and kind of get everyone to be awake and coherent and (laughs) participating in meetings? How do you make that happen? It is
2: challenging. So in the example of the debtors call, we've got someone in the US. We also have European time zone and Australian time zone, which means that the two of us in Australia, it's a 7.15 a.m. call for us and it's a late evening call in Europe. And so we're aware of that and we try not to have too many meetings that have those three time zones because it's just so awkward. But in that case, the three managers are based in those different time zones. So we just, we only have that meeting once a week with all three of us and it is challenging and the time zone isn't great, but because we provide that flexibility with different hours, we also, the team also understands that sometimes we need to work odd hours just so that we can connect with other team members. The the challenge there is whole team meetings because the time zones don't work well with everyone. But one-on-one meetings are easier to schedule, and so we do try and a one-on-one meeting into the US or into Europe. We can normally get that without it being too far out of regular business hours. And it's difficult to have whole team meetings. We do have Wayne from our teams organizing a, what's called a Lunch and Learn. We call it a Lunch and Learn, which is a, a monthly training session, but it's really not lunch for anyone. It's more like breakfast in in um, the Australian time zone.
1: So people are going to have coffee or a glass of wine, something like that.
0: Yes, depending where they are.
1: Right. And I find too, even with myself, I've worked remotely for about five years now and and I even, I see it in myself to a greater degree than when I was working, you know, in an office. And that is, like you said, it's the trade-off and, and the team, because you do have this flexibility and freedom. You know, if I need to go, you know, at 11 o'clock in the morning, go do something personal but I have to hop on a call at 930 at night, I really don't mind it because I do have that flexibility. And there's so much more flexibility for me to go do what I need to do. And what was typical business hours, than there is, you know, a manager or someone needing me to hop on a call at odd hours. And I think that is a part of building a remote team of people that understand what remote work life is like. And, you know, understanding that there is a little bit of give and take, but I mean, f- as an employee, I can definitely say it is far more beneficial to me, you know, to have to hop on an odd hours call from time to time, uh, and then have flexibility throughout my day. So um I love that. And I'm sure that your team is probably you know, just enjoy. It is fun. You know, I'm, it's, let's see, about six o'clock at night for me. I'm on the East coast in the U S and you're in Australia. So I think it's like nine, is it close to 9 AM your time, right? Yeah. 8 AM. Yeah. 8 AM. So we're able to do it. And, and for those of us that work remotely, it quickly becomes second nature. You just kind of work, you know, the hours you want to work. And then when you have to hop on a call, you hop on the call and it's fine. Um, So I think it is far and away worth every single bit of what you get for remote work. Um, so that's a little bit about your tech stack, and I definitely want to include all of those in the show notes for anyone that's building a tech stack or, or getting ready to transition into a remote team. Um, those tools are the most common tools in my experience as well, and they all work really well, um, especially Slack and Zoom. They, they make it really easy and comfortable to communicate, and I find that I communicate far more often as a remote employee than I ever did in an office with my direct reports, so um, I love it. How are you? So we know that you're able to find talent because you're able to source people from literally anywhere in the world. But what is that process like for you? Are there specific websites that you're going to where you find more of these remote workers are gravitating and applying for positions? Is it a word of mouth? Tell me a little bit about your hiring process.
2: More recently, it has mainly been word of mouth and people reaching out to being dudes. And part of our content marketing strategy over the years has been not only to talk where there's audiences of people who could be potential clients, but in the past, I've also done content and podcast interviews, magazine articles for audiences where they are accountants. And that's actually Michael, one of our team members, read about B-Ninjas in Acuity, which is a chartered accounting magazine. And Wayne, another team member- heard about B-Ninjas on the Jetpack Workflow podcast, which is pitched at accounting firm owners. And they they've both been with the business for say almost a year or more than 12 months now. And that's how we found those those team members. Other team members like Jane, for example, I had previously worked with her husband in an accounting firm about 10 years ago. So we're finding I think we've had a lot of success through either direct first degree connections but also friends of friends of friends that have been recommended.
1: And I find that is really, really common with, you know, remote work. I find that it's kind of a culture all of its own. And so there's the people that get up and have to fight morning traffic and be in an office at eight or nine in the morning. And then there's those of us who are kind of this remote culture and there are several different Slack channels um, based on, you know, I'm mostly in marketing, so there's marketing uh, channels that are dedicated for remote workers to kind of connect on there and talk about marketing and, um, you know, remain kind of in the know. So there's this little subculture with remote work. And when I initially started looking for remote work myself, I found it really challenging to kind of get in the door because everybody wants to be a remote employee. But then once you've done it and you kind of have these connections, I find even now when I hire, it is almost always word of mouth. Um it's, it's just this culture of people. Once It's kind of like once you've done it, once you've worked remotely, it is so awesome. <laughs> you will always put the word out when you're looking for something else. And there's always someone that, that has done it before that is looking to move into a new position. And word of mouth is a really strong um, way to get, get new hires um, it, within the remote workers sort of subculture that exists now. And it's a worldwide culture, which is awesome. I love it. I speak to people around the world every single day. Um, And it's really cool. And it definitely helps me um, sharpen my skills, too, because, you know, having the availability to see what are they doing in Australia that's working, what are they doing in Canada and Europe um, and all these other countries. And a lot of people are doing things that we're not doing yet in the U.S. And so I'm able to kind of be cutting edge with that and then also share what I'm doing that other people aren't doing in their part of the world yet. Um, So you have someone come to you word of mouth recommendation through a friend Tell me about your actual hiring process. What does it look like? You know, because I think a lot of, especially if you're a manager that has been in a traditional office and you conduct interviews face to face, and you're able to kind of walk by and see what someone's working on during the day, or you know, kind of see how they present themselves in an uh, in an interview. Transitioning that to like video interviews and in remote um, management can be challenging. What do you recommend from your processes that works best for making sure that the hires that you're bringing on, you're actually giving offer letters to people that turn out to be long-term, solid employees? What does your process look like and how are you able to um, get closest to guarantee that it's a great hire? It's an interesting one. And our
2: hiring process has changed over the years. I hadn't done a whole lot of hiring before being in this, and so I've read a lot of books and blog posts about the topic and also talked with different people. And some of the advice I had was to have a really long interview process, so a, num- a series of different interviews and psychometric tests and b- before a job offer. But I actually, I've worked out something that works for me. I, I don't know if it would, would work for other people, but I prefer to actually do less of that and then just see what kind of work people can do. And so my or well, our hiring process is less about so yes we do have especially if we're hiring an accountant then we do still we have the an interview process and we also do a job skills test to see what their zero and accounting theoretical skills are like but then the next step for me instead of just hiring the best candidate, is then to have people work on small projects, which even if they have a full-time job, they can still do that because we're a remote business. And there, I like to see over a period of time whether people can execute on different work projects and be, uh, be accountable. See what their communication is like. See what questions they ask, and see whether they can, over a longer period of time, commit to commit to deadlines. And actually a number of team members now started off doing small projects for being engines and then really proved themselves. And that's grown into to larger roles. And I actually prefer it that way. I'd, I'd prefer to spend less time interviewing and more time just seeing what it's like to actually work with someone. And then if that goes well, then offer a larger position. And I realize that's hard to do with full time work. If someone has a full time position and you're looking to switch them over to a full time position, but. I, I think you can learn a lot more by what
1: someone does rather than what they say in an interview. Absolutely. And in anything really in any part of life, how do you, how do you feel about and what is your, um, um, approach to, let's say you get a referee, a reference, you know, someone says, Hey, I recommend this person. They're great. She's really smart. She knows what she's doing with this, but she doesn't do everything that you would need. Do you feel like remote hiring, or hiring remote employees, do you feel like there's less of an opportunity to take someone who's, you know, great work ethic, really smart, but could be trained? Do you find training is harder to do? Is it harder to bring someone up to speed on what you need? Or do you find that it's about the same? I think it is more
2: difficult. We, I, I've heard in other businesses of people hiring apprentices successfully. And in the very early days of Being Engines, we had an intern, But I think our attitude now is to hire experienced people who can already do the role well and then bring them into a remote environment and have them excel. We don't, so for example, we don't hire accounting graduates. We hire people with five to 10 years experience so that we don't have a big training, we don't have a big learning curve. And down the, we, we love training and, care about people's development so maybe down the track when we're a bigger organization we could take less experienced people in the team but as a small business we just haven't had the ability to really train people from scratch
1: sure and that you feel like do you feel like that is more because you're a small business or is that more reflective of of hiring remotely i think it's both as a small business we don't have the
2: the budget to to pay for that learning curve for someone we want Mm -hmm. someone already that has has been through that training and and can do their job well but it's also a lot more difficult to train when you're not sitting right next to someone and we have other processes in place to train but it's definitely more difficult when you're not right there and we do try and get around that so when we hired our two new team members in Serbia earlier this year we sent Tom their manager out to Serbia for a week to spend time with them, but again, they were already very experienced accountants, very experienced with zero. So the training was more about our processes, not on how to do accounting or how to use zero.
1: And that kind of brings me to my next question, which is so you've found the right hire, you've sorted out the negotiations and details. what if you're if if you're hiring people that kind of already know what they're doing, what is your onboarding process and what's their first day or first week on the job with Be Ninjas look like? We've
2: recently redone our onboarding process and we've realized it's really important for the the lead up, so the the signing of the contract for all of that communication to be really clear and then for that first day to go really well. And we have an onboarding document which outlines what the direct manager's responsibilities are for that first day. And every new team member gets a, a buddy as well, who's not their manager, someone else that they can talk to or ask all those silly questions that come up about how you do something or what the, the culture is. Sure. So that first, yeah, that first day has a lot of structure of, of different things that the manager will run through. will if we can meet in person, then we'll have, we'll, we'll take the team member out for a dinner or lunch to welcome them to the team. And then during that first week, we'll try and set up a number of one-on-one calls. And we actually, while the team's still small, there's 12 of us at the moment, we're actually trying to have every team member have a brief one-on-one call with a new team member so that everyone has met everyone. I guess similar to how you would do in an office, you would take someone around to meet everyone. And that way down the track, if there's questions that come up, the new team member will already feel like they have met everyone in the team and feel comfortable reaching out to talk
1: about whatever that particular issue is. So already just starting off, making sure that everyone is comfortable with communicating and they they have a, a familiarity with who it is they'll be communicating with. I think that's really important in remote work when you're not able to do that face-to-face introduction. It is nice to have, a, you know, even if it's just a 10-minute call with kind of each person that's at least in your own department, um, that's always nice because then you don't feel like you're this random person slacking them out of the blue. <laughs> Um tell me a little bit so you bring these you bring these new people on and you're hiring mostly pretty experienced um people because you're a small business and you don't really have the bandwidth and budget for training which most small businesses don't um tell me a little bit about yeah and I know you have a great team of people that you know people you hire you have a really great percentage of people that stay on board so you don't really have much churn well, how are you building out development plans and kind of managing? Tell me a little bit about the almost quarterly management of employees in general. How do you structure that? Are they all reporting to one specific manager in their team? And is that manager kind of going through um, goals for them and KPIs that they need to meet on a quarterly basis to kind of track their success in their role? It's, so uh, at the moment, we do have development plans
2: in place for different team members. it's At the moment, it's still not as structured as it could be. And I manage the development for the managers within the business, and we're still implementing that for them to do that with their teams. And the way I handle development with, with different team members within the business is we look at – what, we, we try and look holistically at what their career goals are, but that also fits into what their lifestyle goals are. So, if they're wanting to have a family in a few years or buy a house or wanting to work from somewhere different, what they want their work hours? Do they want to work harder now, and and then less hours later when they have a family? So, we try and talk about what they what they are picturing or what they want their life to look like in a couple of years time, and then based on that, we also talk about what kind of role they're aiming to grow into, and. That, that comes back to one of our values. We, as Tom from our team kindly pointed out, our values are the, the acronym FAT, which is freedom, <laughs> always growing, and trust, which relates to integrity. And so that always growing is we, we part of our culture is that everyone is always trying to improve and make incremental improvements to their role, but also strive for improvement and development. And so part of that is looking at, at where they want to be, in a couple of years and then we break that down into different skill sets and areas that they might need to get experience or exposure to and where they would need different training and so there's a strategy behind different elements of the business they're getting exposed to so for example michael who's an accountant in our team he's wanting to build up some of his scales skills so it's actually useful for him to get involved in some of the marketing in our business so he runs some of our social media and writes our or drafts our weekly newsletter and that's completely different skill set to accounting, but that helps him to put himself in the shoes of our customer and also think about how to get engagement and what's interesting and what kind of topics and how to communicate our services, which will help him build his sales skills. So that's one example of how we give someone in the business exposure to a different area to build their skills as long as it ties in with the longer-term strategy of what they're trying to achieve.
1: I think I I love that you make it a real dialogue with your employees about you know do you want to work harder now and work a little bit less once you have a family i don't think anyone's ever asked me like how do i want my my work hours to kind of coincide or just my my level of work or whatever you would call that how i want that to coincide with what i want in my personal life in a few years i think Um, that speaks volumes about your leadership and how much you care about your employees and that you really do see them as someone that's here for the long term and you're helping them plan for that, which is amazing. I love that. And and I think that has a lot to do with why you're able to um, keep remote team members on board as long as you do because they do feel very much kind of like part of a family because those are conversations you do have with a family member. Um, So I think that's really, really neat. Tell me a little bit about kind of going more into things like dialogue, but communication in general. Um, a lot of managers f- feel like having remote team members, you know, communication will be difficult because you're, you know, a lot of them are doing communication via Slack or email, and those things can be misread, misinterpreted. You sort of lose, you know, the audible that goes with it to kind of help you understand the, the mood someone's in when they're communicating, whatever it is they're communicating how do you avoid some of those pitfalls and how do you train your staff to also use those tools appropriately and, you know, kind of make sure that everyone's always on the same page or at least clearly understanding each other? I think the first one
2: comes back to intent. So everyone in the team is very positive And we know that even if someone's being direct in Slack and you can't tell the emotion that someone's using, everyone in the team is positive and really supportive of each other. So it even if it looks like it's worded short, um, in a short way, it's probably not that they're annoyed. That's just how they've, they've written it. And because everyone has that understanding that everyone else in the team is positive and supportive and we do we have constructive criticism, but no one's into blaming someone else for something that's gone wrong. We're just looking at how we can improve and and find solutions. And I think that, first of all, is important that everyone – understands that and will choose to not take offence to anything because that would never be the intent because everyone knows that our team has that positive, supportive kind of mindset. The other is being careful with how we communicate. And I encourage precise communication. So instead of saying, can you put this, uh, can you upload this file, we if you're, not communi- if you're communicating on something like Slack, you would need to be more specific than that so that there's no backwards and forwards, especially between time zones and no wasted time. So instead, you would phrase that as, can you please upload bank account file A to Dropbox and send me the link in Slack once you've done it? And that way, there's no backwards and forwards. You can check whether the result that you wanted was achieved and whether the person that you're communicating with understood your request and then check that it's happened. And so it's really important that everyone communicates in that precise way. And, and that comes down to the way we communicate with clients too, because we're communicating predominantly via email. When we're writing an email, let's not just, let's think about what they they have any questions about the email that we've written. Let's try and answer those questions in this email. So we don't have three emails going backwards and forwards and it takes a week to get the answer that we want. Think about how someone else would interpret this. And then let's communicate very specifically and clearly So that we can avoid that backwards and forwards.
1: That probably is my new favorite piece of advice is to be precise. And specifically when you use that example about, you know, because you may be slacking someone that it's currently midnight and they're in bed and they're not going to see it until tomorrow when it's midnight your time. And so there there can be, especially with international remote teams, there can be, if there is not very precise communication with clear direction, there can be a lot of time spent on something that would have been simple. Um, and I think that is so key and so important. And I don't hear too many people, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone kind of marry those two, the precise communication being the thing that saves you wasted time when you're dealing with people in, in, in different um, time zones. So I think that's probably my favorite thing from the episode today, and I'm going to take that and use it. <laughs> I I have clients that are worldwide as well. And there have been times when I think, oh, my gosh, if we were just in the the same time zone, I could pick up the phone and explain to them what I'm asking. And I tend to be, shocker, voluminous with my words. So I think being precise with written communication will make a big difference for me. So I'm actually really excited to implement that in my own daily Slack and email use. Do you have any sort of last-minute advice for someone that's either transitioning to a remote position or considering beginning to hire remote um, workforce team members, what is your sort of closing advice or do you have any books or uh, blogs that you recommend that they look at? I think, actually, it's it's hard to narrow it down into just a couple (laughs) of closing remarks, but
2: if there was one point for employers that are looking to hire remote staff, one word would be trust. You have to have trust in your remote employees. Yes, you need accountability checks too, but you need to be comfortable not walking past them or not checking out that they're working eight to five. So, the work needs to be structured so that there's deliverables and then you can check on the deliverables, not the hours that someone is working. And you need to hire the kind of people that you do have that trust in and then demonstrate that trust with your team. And for remote workers, I think it's really important to have structure to your day and it doesn't need to be the same structure as what you were doing in a nine-to-five job, but I would still recommend getting up at the same time, having a morning routine, doing exercise when that, when, whenever you prefer to do that, having set work hours and having a finish time so that you shut the laptop and then that's it. You've worked for the day and now you can enjoy the the evening because otherwise it's it's very easy to spend the whole time thinking about work. So I think it's important to have work boundaries as a – Remote worker, and I'll share some links. I've got a whole lot of different resources around remote work, so I will put together some links where we can share those in the show notes.
1: Excellent, Meryl. Another really, really fun and exciting episode. Like I said, this is something that I'm really passionate about. Um, I think there's so many benefits, and and I'd like to, in the future, um, bring on some of the other Bean Ninjas team members and talk with them about their experience. I know you've had some of. The people that you mentioned earlier in the episode, um, I think Wayne is one of them who left sort of a more traditional um, office position and became a remote uh, team member. So I think in the future, we'll bring some of those folks on and get their perspective on what it's been like for them, and they can also give advice to some of our ninjas super fans that are listening but thank you so much for the episode congratulations again on moving into your new house and i can't wait to hear how everything went um, with the event that you're speaking at here soon and next episode we will come back again with some more really valuable information but until then
0: everybody have a great day thank you meryl thanks all right bye to the Bean Ninjas
1: blog at BeanNinjas.com forward slash blog to learn more from Meryl and her team. This week's show notes include a link to Meryl's very own breakdown of the tech stack that she relies on for her remote team and as always you can tweet to us at Bean Ninjas and let us know what topics you want us to cover in future episodes of the
0: Bean Ninjas podcast thanks again everyone we'll see you right back here next week